I want to begin this morning uh, reading a passage of Scripture. We have, uh, we're going to look at two chapters this morning from Genesis. And as sometimes happens, uh, you kind of have a, a kind of plan out what, what, as we go through Joseph, what that looks like. And early on, uh, I thought that 43 and 44 would be um, two different sermons, but as the week wore on, um, we're going to do all that today, actually. That may seem like a lot to chew on, but we're going to do that. So I'm going to read 43 now. We'll read 44 in a little bit. Um, as we listen to Scripture, begin putting yourself in their shoes. Think about what it would feel like, what it would be like. Were you Jacob or were you the brothers? <clears throat> and think about their emotions and how they feel as we, uh, as we dive into God's Word this morning. And then we'll talk about that in a little bit. So beginning in chapter 43, Moses writes for us, Now the famine was severe in the land. So it came about when they had finished eating the grain which they had brought from Egypt that their father said to them, Go back and buy us a little food. Judah spoke to him, however, saying, The man solemnly warned us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with us. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you do not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You will not see my face unless your brother is with you. Then Israel said, why did you treat me so badly by telling the man whether you still had another brother? But they said, the man questioned us particularly about us and our relatives saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? So we answered his questions. Could we possibly know that he would say, bring your brother down? Judah said to his father Israel, send the lad with me. We will arise and go that we may live and not die. We as well as you and our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. You may hold me responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and, let, and set him before you, then let me bear the blame before you forever. For if we had not delayed, surely by now we could have returned twice. <coughs> then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best products of the land in your bags and carry down the man a present, a little balm and a little honey, aromatic gum and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the money in your hand and take back in your hand the money which was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and arise, return to the man, and may God Almighty grant you compassion in the sight of the man, so that he will release you to your older brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took the present and they took double the money in their, in their hand and Benjamin, and they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the house steward, Bring the men into the house and slay an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. So the man did just as Joseph said and brought the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, It is because of the money that was returned in our sacks the first time that we are being brought in, and he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for slaves and our donkeys. So they came near to Joseph's house steward and spoke to him at the entrance of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we indeed came down the first time to buy food, and it came about when we came to the lodging place that we opened our sacks, and behold, each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full. So we have brought it back in our hand. We've also brought down other money in our hand to buy food. We do not know who put the money in our sacks. And he said, Be at ease. Do not be afraid. 
your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Then the man brought them in into Joseph's house and gave them water and they washed their feet and he gave their donkeys fodder. So they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they had heard that they were to eat a meal there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the, ho- into the house to him the present which was in their hand and bowed to the ground before him. Then he asked them about their welfare and said, Is your old father well of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. They bowed down in homage as he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. He said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, May God be gracious to you, my son. Joseph hurried out, for he was deeply stirred over his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and he controlled himself and said, Serve the meal. So they served him by himself, and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that is loathsome to the Egyptians. Now they were seated before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth, And the men looked at one another in astonishment. He took portions to them from his own table. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as theirs. So they feasted and drank freely with him. Let's pray. Father, your word is alive and active. And we thank you for that. We thank you that it speaks to our hearts. That your word and the power of your Holy Spirit convicts us. And brings us into your present, into your presence, humble and exposed. And so, God, we come to your presence this morning only by the blood of your Son. We are thankful for the gift that you have given us in him. We are thankful for the fellowship that you have granted us because of the power of the Holy Spirit to unite us as brothers and sisters in Christ, to make us one. We are thankful for your goodness, for your creation, for the hope that you give us in the renewal of springtime, a reminder yet again, as we were reminded last week, of the fact that because of your resurrection, we too one day will be resurrected to newness of life. God, we praise you for your goodness and glory. God, I thank you for these, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that as we spend time this morning in fellowship, in worship, through both music and through the Word and through prayer, that you would encourage our hearts, that you would meet us where we are, that you would provide for us both compassion and strength, encouragement and boldness. Remind us of the wonder and the glory of who you are. We look forward to our time together. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing together? Lord, do prepare us. Make us into those clay vessels that shine your light in the world. Through your power, through your spirit, Lord, you do so. Let us be willing. And let us pursue you. Let us pursue being more like Jesus, our Savior. By the power of that spirit that we may shine the light in the world for others to see, that they may join in the body of Christ. Lord, we thank you for your love, your power, your kindness, your mercy, 
and your grace. Be with Michael this morning as he teaches. And Lord, may we come away from here in a new fashion, learning from the power of your word. Lord, we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, again, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Church. We are in the middle of a uh, some time in the, the life of Joseph in Genesis, and this morning we are in chapter 43 and 44. Thank you, Chad. Yeah, there we go. Nope, back the other way. That's what we're looking, some air. Thanks. Uh, if you need a bulletin, there's an outline in the bulletin for you to follow along. Linda has one of those. If you'll raise your hand, she'll be happy to hand you one. We will also have uh, an outline up on the overhead, though I'll stand in the way sometimes. So maybe you want one in your hand. We read Genesis 43. In a minute, we'll do 44 as well. I want to set the stage a little bit for you this morning as we uh, as we talk through... In one sense, Joseph is a lot like his dad. He's, he's a schemer. And he has, uh, he has set the stage and he has uh, orchestrated the situation to find out what he wants to find out. He is testing not only his dad, but he's testing his brothers um, and trying to decide if they are trustworthy at this point in time. You ever been stuck between a rock and a hard place? You ever had a, a decision, a hard decision to make? I don't mean a decision like, should I take this job or this job? Those can be difficult. But I mean, you know the right thing to do, but you just don't want to do it. Because it feels like you're going to lose anyway. That kind of hard decision. The one that, that keeps you up at night because you know I've got to do this, but I really don't want to. Maybe it's as, as simple as something if your little kid is, is taking the, the medicine that you don't want to take. You know it's good for you, but oh, I, oh, it's going to taste bad. Maybe it's asking someone for forgiveness. It's going to someone that you've offended and, and, and realizing that you've, you've done wrong and you need, to, you need to patch that up, but that's painful and you've got to eat crow and you don't want to. Maybe it's just having a, a hard conversation with someone you need to have you know it's the right thing to do, but you're just not sure how they're going to take it. Jacob was in that situation. He knew that the right thing to do was to send Benjamin back, but he didn't want to. Still holding on to, this is my favorite wife's only son that he thought he had left. And he didn't want to send him back, but he knew it was the right thing to do because if he didn't do it, the family was going to starve. And Joseph arranged all that. Joseph sent back enough food and he knew it wouldn't last. Or maybe, if you haven't been in that situation, anybody ever been tempted by sin in here? Just a, a couple of us. Maybe it's one of those that you thought you had beat, that you thought you had, you know, between God and I, we've got this worked out, that doesn't bother me anymore. And, and maybe even several years later, it kind of creeps back in and you go, I thought I was done with that. 
Or maybe it's one of those that just it's the same old, same old, that thing that you fight every day. Whether it's pride or anger or lust or jealousy or envy. And it's just, you just, you battle it and you battle it and you battle it. You see, Joseph also set his brothers up to, to test them. Now, I know that we're not supposed to, to test our brothers, but Joseph wanted to know, are they trustworthy? Have they changed? You know, those brothers, those, uh, let's sell the one we're envious of and get rid of him, brothers, those guys. The ones that wanted to kill him, but instead threw him in a pit and ended up selling him. He needs to know, can I trust him? He's got plans. He knows God is using him to save the nation. But before he brings the family down, he wants to know, can I trust these guys? Have they learned their lesson yet? Or do we still have a hard road to hoe? And so in the testing of his father and the testing of his brothers, he finds out what he needs to know. So let's read 44. We did 43. Let's read 44 together. And then we'll, we'll talk about what we can learn because both Jacob and the brothers, and Judah specifically, actually responded correctly. You read a lot of bad news in Genesis. <laughs> People don't behave well. And in 43 and 44, we get a glimpse that maybe, maybe these people of God have finally begun to get it. So Moses continues in 44. Then he commanded his house steward saying, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as it was light, the men were sent away, they with their donkeys. And they had just got out of the city and were not far off when Joseph said to his house steward, Up, follow the men. When you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks, and which indeed he uses for divination? You have done wrong in doing this. So he overtook them and spoke these words to them. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servant to do such a thing. Behold, the money which we found in the mouth of our sex, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from our Lord's house? With whomever your servant it is found, let him die. And we will also be my Lord's slaves. So he said, Now let it also be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then they hurried, each man lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack. He searched, beginning with the oldest, ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes when each man loaded, and each man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there, and they fell to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, What is this deed you have done? Do you not know that such a man as I can indeed practice divination? So Judah said, what can we say to my Lord? What can we speak? And how can we justify ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's slaves, both we and the one in whose possession the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it for me to do this. The man in whose possession the cup has been found, he shall be my slave. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah approached him and said, O my Lord, may your servant please speak a word in my Lord's ears. Do not be angry with your servant, for you are equal to Pharaoh. 
My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? We said to my Lord, We have an old father and a little child of his old age. Now his brother is dead, so he, left, so he alone is left of his mother, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. But we said to my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. You said to your servants, however, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. Thus it came about when we went up to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. Our father said, go back, buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down, for we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out for me, and I said, surely he is torn in pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one also from me and harm befalls him, you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, when he sees that the lad is not with us, he will die. Thus your servants will bring the gray hair of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, let me bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please... Let your servant remain instead of the lad a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, for fear that I see the evil that would overtake my father? So Joseph set him up. He had to send Benjamin down. He didn't want to, but he's forced to make the decision. And I think his response can help us learn when we're in that situation, when we've got something that we know we have to do, what's the best way to do it? Two things that, that Jacob did that I think we can learn from. Number one, we need to deal honestly when we've got a hard decision to make. You see, at least a year has gone by, and the whole issue of the money thing, do we really know that, that Pharaoh even remembers that, that the, that the man, the Lord, Joseph, even remembers that? But right off the bat, Jacob says, Take double the money, what we owe them from last time and this time, and we're going to throw in some extra. Because that's the way the culture did back then. If, if you wronged someone, you repaid plus some. So in addition to the money, he's also sending gifts. He dealt honestly, and that's the way that life is supposed to be. When you have something to do, sometimes we're tempted, especially when it's a hard thing and we feel like we're going to lose in the process Sometimes we're tempted maybe to cut corners, to hold back a little bit, especially when things like apologies. You know, you've heard lots of people on TV make apologies, politicians and entertainers, and usually that, that apology is always mixed with, it's also your fault, right? I'm not completely to blame. The apology is, is tinged with, well, here's why I did it, and, and really it's, it's not as bad as all that, but okay, I'm sorry. We're tempted to not deal honestly and be forthright. We just want to cut corners. And Jacob was up front that this is what needs to be done. Take the money back, take back extra. Not knowing what would happen not knowing if that was the right decision or the wrong decision. Nonetheless, it was the honest decision. 
So when you're forced, when you're in a situation and you don't like it, step number one, be honest. Have integrity in the decisions that you make. Number two, he trusted God. May God Almighty grant you mercy and go with you. Uh, That phrase, God Almighty, El Shaddai, is only used a handful of times in the entire Bible. Most of them in Genesis. In chapter 17, God reveals Himself by that name to Abraham as the God who keeps covenant. Chapter 28, it also shows up again, again reminding as Abraham talks to, or I'm sorry, as as Isaac talks to Jacob, God Almighty is the one that keeps covenant. And then again in chapter 35, El Shaddai is used again in the context of the God who keeps covenant, the God who's going to bring you into the land, give your descendants this land. And now here is Jacob sending his family out of the land. And he remembers what had been passed down from his grandfather to his father to him. God Almighty made a promise. And while I have lost one son, I'm sending 11 more. And who knows what this man's going to do whether he's going to treat them poorly or well, whether I'll ever see them again. God Almighty, go with you. Reminding himself and, and, and God of the promise that he can be trusted, even though this doesn't look good for him. And then we might think that, that Jacob's a little resigned. If I'm bereaved of my children, I'm bereaved. Like he's kind of just given up. But it sort of reminds me, and I think maybe a better parallel is, is the story of Esther. When she needed to go in and talk to the king and she hadn't been called, and that was a no-no in that culture. And she had the people praying for her, and she said, if I perish, I perish. It was a hard thing to do, but it was the right thing to do. And it wasn't resignation, it was, I'm going to do what needs to be done for my people And if that turns out bad for me, that's okay. Because it's the right thing to do. And that's the mindset that we as God's people need to have. If it's the right thing to do, we do it trusting God that even if it doesn't turn out well for me, it's the right thing to do. And so we get a glimpse that Jacob is, is once again, as Jacob goes from a scoundrel to redeemed, from a scoundrel to redeemed, he once again seems to be on the right track, maybe. I like Jacob because he gives me hope. When things don't go well, when I'm not doing well, that, that tomorrow we can make a better decision. But then Joseph has also set his brothers up. He brings them in and he sets a table for them and he, he sets them in order from oldest to youngest. How, how would he know that? From their mind, how would he know that? And that sort of just kind of freaks him out a little bit. And then he gives the youngest, Benjamin, five times as much food as he gives the rest of them. Why? Well, all his life, he was favored by his father. And his brothers hated that. And he just wants to see, now that the other son of Rachel, are they still treating him the way they treated me? 
If I show him favor, if my dad has still been showing him favor, which he assumes he has because Benjamin didn't come down the first time, are they going to be as mad at him as they were at me? Are they going to be as jealous of him as they were of me? Are they going to treat him the way they treated me? And so he gets him at the table and, and he lays the trap and then he ups the ante. He sends them away, but then he hides his cup in Benjamin's bag. Let's see what happens when it's Benjamin's fault that they're all in trouble. Are they going to kick him to the side of the road and say, well, it's his fault. <laughs> we'll just go on. And he gives them that option. No, I'll keep the one whose sack I found the cup and the rest of you can go. So the trap has been laid. The temptation is set. What are they going to do? Well, again, I think their actions give us some help as how we fight sin, how we fight temptation. And the first thing that they did when they got there is they began with a clean slate. Temptation hadn't even happened yet, but they began with a clean slate. They confessed about the money. We, you know, we want to return some money because last time it got home with us and we, maybe there was a mistake. We've brought back double the money and we've brought back a gift. It's good to go through life with a clean slate. Because when you're worried and when you're eaten up and when you're anxious over your sin, then the littlest thing can just set you off. The littlest thing can send you further into sin. And so when they showed up at the meal, their conscience was clean in regards to the money. Right? When you're worried and you're anxious, meals usually don't go well, do they? You can't eat. If, you're, if your stomach's already churning, then food doesn't taste as good. And so they began the process with a clean slate. And that allowed them to be content in their circumstances. It's a wonderful meal, and all of a sudden there's this temptation pops up. Benjamin gets a whole lot better pickings than they do. Right? Right, if it was if it was soup, he gets the, the portion with all the meat and the vegetables, and they're just they've just got broth, maybe, or Whatever it is, the young one gets the good stuff instead of the oldest one. And what do they do? They're content in their circumstances. They're not looking around thinking, hmm, what are we going to do with this guy? Bitterness hasn't shown up. In fact, what does it say at the end of, at the end of 43? It says they feasted and drank freely with him. With Benjamin. They enjoyed his favor. They celebrated with him. There's no, there's no talk of bitterness. There's no talk of jealousy. They feasted and drank freely with him. Not a bad deal. When you're tempted, the question is, are you focused on what you don't have or on what you do have? When envy or lust or the desire to be angry or jealousy wells up in you, is it because you're satisfied with your lot in life, the way God has placed you, or is it because I want things to be different? They were content in their circumstances.
And then Judah helps us see the next two. He, he goes to after they've, after they've been caught and brought back. And he says, I'm keeping Benjamin. The rest of you can go. Judah says, can I talk to you privately for just a moment? Can I tell you a story? Can I tell you the way things have, have gone? My dad, he was real reluctant to send him. And, and I promised that I would bear the blame forever. And I don't want to see my dad hurt, which is far different than last time when they lied about Joseph being killed and it didn't seem to be a big deal that, that dad grieved. I, I can't go back and see him hurt this way. I'll stay. Let me be your slave. Send him back. And Judah did, did two things that help us see when we're faced with temptation how we should respond. We, we take our eyes off ourselves, and he did, it, he did it that in two ways. He thought about his father and he was willing to sacrifice himself. You see, in te- all temptation is is focusing our eyes on ourselves. We may think, well, no, but temptation is looking for something I don't have. Think about it this way. If I'm envious of someone, yes, I'm looking at what they have or who they are, but the focus really is on me. I don't have that, or I wish I was that way. Same thing with lust. We're looking at someone we shouldn't look at. We think, well, our focus is on them, but no, our focus is on ourself. I want that. When anger wells up, maybe your anger is directed towards someone, Right? but the focus is really on myself. I want peace at any cost, and if that means I have to raise my voice or do something unkind to get you to quit bothering me or annoying me or whatever it is, temptation always turns the mirror on ourself. And Judah showed us the way to fight that is to think about someone else. He thought about his father. He thought about what emotions he would go through if I, make, if I don't make this decision, if I choose poorly here, my father is going to be crushed. And he was willing to sacrifice himself for the good of someone else. Well, that's the ultimate thinking of somebody else. I'm not thinking of me at all. I'm not thinking of the consequences of what it would be like to be a slave for the rest of my life, to never see my homeland, never see my father again, never be a part of the promise that he knew God had made to his family. Never be one of the children of Abraham. My brothers will get to experience that, but I won't. See, he didn't think about those things. His focus was on somebody else. And that's a great reminder for us of how we fight temptation. Do we begin with a clean slate? Are we willing to, to always keep short accounts? Are we willing to be content in our circumstances? And are we willing to take our eyes off of ourselves just for a moment and and think of those around us? Let me give you a couple of practical examples of what that looks like. Uh, Several years ago, I wish I could remember who the author was, read uh, an article, a guy that he struggled with lust all the time. He was all the time looking at women besides his wife. He knew he shouldn't do that. And I don't remember if someone told him, gave him the idea, or if he came to him through prayer, 
Every time he was tempted to look at someone longer than he should have, he began praying for them. He said, because it's really hard to lust after someone when you're talking to God and, and, and asking Him to benefit the person that you're praying for. See, again, lust was all focused on Him and He, he turned the focus towards God and towards someone else. Just a silent prayer walking down the grocery store aisle, walking down the street, at work. Just a silent prayer of focus on something besides his own sin. Another example I ran across just recently, uh, something that John Piper has done for years and years. I've read a lot of him. I don't know why I've never seen this before, of, of how he fights sin. And it's, it's an acronym. It's the word ANTHEM, A-N-T-H-E-M. And the A stands for avoid. First of all, if you know you're liable to something, you avoid that. Y'all know the story of me and the lottery billboard from our time in Dallas, right? We avoid what tempts us. We avoid what tends to bring us down and what, what tends to make us want to sin. So you avoid it. You don't put yourself in a situation to begin with. The second one, the end, is, is you say no within five seconds. You know as well as I do that the longer you dwell on a temptation, the harder it is for it to go away. And so you've got to get in the habit of saying no quickly, <laughs> very quickly, or it will grab you around the throat and it won't let go. And it makes it harder and harder to fight that the longer you dwell on the temptation. The T is turn to something that's marvelous. And in the article, Piper lists several things like the crucified Savior, the creation of God. There's lots of things we can turn our mind to. That list in Philippians, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What's more excellent? What's more praiseworthy than our crucified and risen Lord. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, turn your mind and set it on that. The H stands for hold. Hold that in your mind until the temptation goes away. You may think, well, that might take a long time. Yeah, it might. And what's more important, you overcoming sin or you satisfying your own selfish desires? You hold it in your mind. The E stands for enjoying the, the, the victory, enjoying what Christ has done, enjoying His promises that He's given you. Instead of jo enjoying sin, we enjoy His character. We enjoy who He is. Remind ourselves that He is enjoyable. You know, I wonder sometimes if, if we don't get joy out of the Savior because we don't hunger for Him because we're so satisfied with the world. Might it be helpful for us to begin thinking about what it looks like to fast from certain things, to, to whet our appetite for God? Are we so satisfied with the things of the world that I just don't hunger for God and so therefore I don't enjoy Him? And then the M stands for to move to some Christ-exalting activity. 
it doesn't do any good if I've, if I've done that and I've won that battle, but I stay where I am and, and let the temptation just come back, right? We, we move on to something else. We find something that's Christ-exalting to do. That may or may not help you, and you may modify that for your situation, and you may do something different with that. That's not a bad way to think through the process of what does it look like to fight temptation. Well, it looks like taking my eyes off myself and putting it on something else worth looking at. Ultimately, in in a snapshot, if you want just a two-step instead of a six-step process, don't think about me, think about God. That's the the shortcut if, if Anthem is too hard to remember. Judah reminds us of something else. As he began to think through what that would look like, I don't know what was going through his mind, but when I read that, I know it goes through my mind. There was someone else who sacrificed for me. There was someone who who was worthy of far more honor and prestige and glory and recognition than I am. And yet, He was willing to trade places with me. And His name was Jesus. And He didn't just say, I'll be a slave. He said, I'll die. See, I wasn't like Benjamin who was given the sentence of slavery. I was given the sentence of death. And so... Jesus was far greater than Judah, not just I'll take your place for a lifetime. I'll I'll take your place so you don't have to die. And we celebrate that this morning as we take of the bread and the fruit of the vine. We rejoice in that this morning. But before we do that, we we ought to think through what the brothers did. They, They first came down and they confessed. And so I would like for us just for a moment to spend some time quiet. Will we confess to God? I'm reminded of what David wrote in Psalm 51. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you're justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. And down in verse 7. Purify me with hyssop that I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. May that be our cry to God this morning. Would you take a moment, just where you are. If you want to kneel, you can kneel. If you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to remain sitting, you can do that. Will you... Will you pour out your heart to God? Would you confess to Him the things that keep you from Him? Can we clean the slate this morning? Keep short accounts before we celebrate together.